0: Welcome to the podcast, and tonight a special episode for us is we'll take a memory lane trip later in the episode. But for now, let's get into our normal roundtable discussion, and we've got an addition, Jason Baker, in studio with us tonight so he can add uh, his commentary as we kind of look, and we'll keep it super local and short here in the roundtable as we have um, three interviews that are really going to fill up this episode. But let's talk high school baseball, y'all. Um, Popperville and West Lauderdale in a second round of the 4A playoffs. And, uh, guys, Popperville 21-7, and certainly an impressive year for Coach Jones in his first year there for Popperville. You heard from Coach Jones on last week's uh, podcast. They've got a tough opponent in West Lauderdale after winning their first round. And so this will be interesting to see how the second round plays out. A West Lauderdale team that's 23-3. and
1: You know, and Jason, we talked about West Lauderdale. We visited there, I think, some in the playoffs for football, too. But Popoville coming off that win against Van Cleve this week, winning that series – Facing a tough West Lauderdale series, supposed to be tomorrow night, uh, as we record on a Wednesday night. Supposed to be Thursday night, the twenty fifth of April. Uh, maybe have to see, look what the weather has to do. But West Lauderdale, uh, a tough team out there to, for Pop- for Poplarville to, to face. They are. They're probably one of
2: the favorites in the South in four A. But I, I think the the help and the confidence is going to come from Slade Jones's club and the fact that they've got a Summerall ball club that's probably just as equally talented as that West Lauderdale team uh, that they've had to face twice this year and battle twice this year. Uh, I think it's a Hornet team. You know, they're young, and sometimes youth uh, can kind of have this uh, just kind of unknown factor where you don't know how they'll perform on a big stage. I think this is a team that really – I don't know that they'll know just about how good of a program West Lauderdale is. You know, Jerry Boatner, a long time coach there, no longer there. He retired, I believe two seasons ago. Uh, and, but I, I think this will be a Hornet team that they're going to take them serious. They're going to respect them. But I don't know that they're going to go up there uh, and be overwhelmed by the atmosphere. From what I understand, they don't hit very well, does Wes Lauderdale, but they pitch extremely well. So for the Hornets, the key will be, you know, can you put yourself with three, four, five runs on the board, uh, and then it's up to your pitching staff and that bullpen. That's where the youth comes in. But sometimes uh, that greenness of youth uh, may show itself nicely Uh, underneath the spotlights and bright lights of playoff baseball.
0: Yeah, when JB mentioned it, uh, West Lauderdale, they come in with an ERA at 1.58 for the year. So, giving up under two runs, pretty strong. uh, And they steal a lot of bases. So, uh, when they get on, they've stolen uh, 62 bags. And so, going to have to try to piece something together and keep them from uh, stealing bases. It will be interesting to see how that young team does with West Lauderdale. We certainly wish the Hornets and Coach Jones – uh, all the luck in the world and hopefully advance to round three. Getting even close or locally, moving to PRC, Pearl River uh, Central will move to round two. This is neat, guys. All three of the county high schools will advance to the second round of the baseball playoffs. I'm not sure exactly how many times that has happened, but it's happened this year. So baseball fans in our county, very fortunate. Uh, Pearl River Central will face a very good West Harrison team, West Harrison 22 and 7 on the year, and we talk about hitting. They're hitting at a 358 clip with 35 home runs as a team, so a lot of pop. And that's who the Pearl River Central Blue Devils will see in that second round.
1: Well, and West Harrison too had that bye, they had that first round bye, so they got to the set back and see who they were going to face. So, Pearl River Central comes out of that uh series against Wayne County, of course, you got Dunhurst back there uh catcher uh, behind the plate for Pervers Central, one of the top prospects in the nation as far as catchers. For this ball club coming out of high school. So he's got a lot of pop, and of course, he knows he can throw down runners too. So, uh, a very tough matchup for Perver Central. West Harrison, like I said, they had that bye. They won their district down there. So they're just sitting back, waiting to see, and then Perver Central comes to town uh, tomorrow night. And Perver Central,
2: a lot of experience on that roster in the playoffs. They're going to know how to win big games. Uh, I always say in high school sports, I love the teams with the best player on the field. And Pearl River Central has the best player on the field, and it's not even close. And I think Dunhurst is a kid uh, that I I believe Hayden has just got the ability to change a series. They said he hit a ball in the opening round that might have landed tonight, but they're not real (laughs) sure. And, And so, with that being said... You know, I look for this Pearl River Central Blue Devil team to continue to roll. They had to play the opening round game. I think sometimes in a game of baseball, those layoffs can hurt you. Uh, so I would look for the Blue Devils in this one, hopefully uh, to continue their winning ways that they have done in the playoffs. And, and uh, selfishly, uh, for those of us that follow high school baseball, uh, the, the career for Hayden Dunhurst to continue in Pearl River County
0: absolutely and it's a separate podcast uh conversation but it'd be hard to argue any other way Uh, maybe the top bill player in baseball to ever come out of this county and hayden dunhurst i mean just a sensational talent and he plays a position not only is he the best player on the field basically anybody they're gonna face but he plays a position where he's gonna touch it every time back there behind the plate so uh interesting point made there and um, you look at this series, guys. They split on the season, one and one earlier, and so it will be a pretty even matchup. That's a matchup that's going to be fun to watch. And we talked about the layoff when we move closer to home. And Pickens, Pickens had the layoff. How will that affect them? As they have a Stone team coming to Pickune supposedly tomorrow night, as you mentioned the weather. This is an interesting Stone club. Max Preps tells you they're not very good. They're eight and seventeen. On the year, so how will they compete? How will Pick respond after being awful week?
1: Yep, and Pick winning the district, getting that first round by, goes up and faces a Oak Grove team, kind of a fill-in uh, game to try to get some momentum and keep keep things hot. Swept Oak Grove in them two games, but then face a Stone County team who kind of had an upset over Natchez this week. Uh, but Pickens coming in with a little over uh, two ERA, a little bit over that, as far as a pitching club uh, with the with the, the the pitchers on that staff. So Picayune's got a you know kind of a surprise coming up with the with a tough uh, Tomcat team uh, facing tomorrow night, Jason.
2: And, and I think for Cody, you know, his challenge is how do I keep our focus and how do I stay sharp. Uh, like they were there at the end of the year. They were obviously one of the better teams in their district, the best team in their district uh, at the end of the year. I think going and playing Oak Grove was a brilliant move by Cody Stogner. Do not overlook that challenge of going to a perennial power 6A school and going up there and taking them on for a two-game set and then being victorious. Might have kept them sharp and kept that momentum in Picayune's corner. Time will only tell. It's kind of odd because kids are kids, right? They're going to get online, they're going to look, right. and they're going to see Stone's record and think, man, they're 8-17. and 17. We've got this. For Cody, that will be his challenge. I wish him the best. I hope it's the best. And, and I feel like that that series against Oak Grove that Jeff mentioned, I think you cannot, cannot overstate how important that was for that team in picking to go up there and get those wins and stay sharp.
0: Yep, I said a week off. That was a good catch by you bringing back up uh, the Oak Grove series. And you talked about the low ERA, that's kind of where pick has hung their hat all year long. And we'll get a chance to talk to Drew Esslinger, the pitching coach for the Maroon Tide, in our first interview, and then Jeff, for our second interview.
1: Yeah, for our second interview, we're going we're to have Gus Kattengale, host of the Sports Hangover on 100.3 ESPN New Orleans. Going to talk everything Saints. We're going to talk about Saints draft, uh, where they're picking this year, things that Uh, Saints fans can look forward to this offseason, some maybe moves that's going to be made, and then also maybe delve into a little bit of the Pelicans, uh, the New Orleans Pelicans, what moves they have made, uh, hiring some people, and and seeing where that ball club uh, is going to prevail maybe this offseason.
0: And J.B. Batten in our third spot, our third interview will be with? Yeah,
2: Tim Hatton, the head coach at Crestview High School currently, but the former head coach of the Pearl River Community College Wildcats for eleven seasons. Tim, a great friend of ours. Uh we were fortunate enough. Uh Clay, I believe, was a part of uh all eleven of his seasons, I believe, as uh the color analyst. I was very blessed to be the voice of the Wildcats for 15 seasons, all of which entailed his eleven seasons there at Pearl River. And uh, if you know Tim Hatton, uh he was tailored or, or tailor-made uh to be on a podcast. He is full of sound bites and uh He's got a lot of flavor to what he has to say, and uh, he's no doubt one of the favorite coaches that I've ever worked with, Um, one of the guys that uh, truly, uh, to me, brought this passion of sports broadcasting within me, uh, mainly because of the way in which he treated me and then the product that he put on the field. Uh, During those times at Pearl River, uh, there was nobody uh, in the country. And you could still say that today, Even with the success of Buddy Stevens in East Mississippi and what they've done, nobody yet has won four consecutive state championships. Uh, And if it wasn't for Hurricane Katrina, he would have played for three consecutive national championships uh, and honestly, deservedly so, deserved to have that uh, moniker. He deserved to play for that 05 national championship. Uh, And we'll hear about his memories uh, at Pearl River. And, uh, Clay, you'll kind of hear us. Uh, take that trip down memory lane with him as uh, I know certainly in our broadcasting careers to this point uh, they were certainly some of the great highlights that we've had uh, and it'll be great to catch up with Tim.
0: Absolutely and thank our listeners for joining us we appreciate uh, Jason making the trip down from Popperville to Piccune to be in studio with us tonight. I was not going to do a Coach Hatton podcast without this guy sitting to uh, the right of me. And so you could hear from the introduction of the interview, his passion and information, and just from being there for all of Coach Hatton's uh, wins and losses, uh, Jason Baker, the former voice of the Pearl River Community College Wildcats. Special thanks to him, and thank you for listening uh, to tonight's episode.
3: Hey folks, if you need that special sweet treat for birthdays, anniversaries, or just because, stop by and see our friends at Katie Cake & Company. They are located at 109 West Canal Street in Pickyon. Let Katie Cake & Company satisfy your sweet tooth. Shh, your scale will never have to know.
1: The days of hiding your money in a mattress or burying it in the backyard are long gone. Our friends at Bank Plus can help you save for a rainy day. Hurry in and let their friendly staff help you with all your banking needs. Stop by any of their locations today at 115 Williams Avenue and 951 Memorial Boulevard in Picayune or 105 North Main Street in Poplarville. Bank Plus is more than a name. It's a promise.
0: Joining tonight's podcast is Drew Esslinger, the pitching coach for the Picayune Maroon Tide. And uh, Drew, we're certainly glad uh, that you would take time to join the podcast tonight.
4: Oh Clay, Jeff, man, it's awesome. I'm glad to be a part of it. Glad you guys asked me, and uh, I appreciate all that you guys are doing for the for local sports. It's a, it's really a big deal, and it's good for our kids and
5: good for our community.
0: Well, thank you for that, Drew. And let's get right to the reason we're having you on, man. We like you well enough, but <laughs> let's get to this ERA and these numbers that uh, your staff there for the Picky and Maroon Tide were able to put up and earn a fir- first round buys. We're getting ready to start. Uh, the second round of the five A playoffs and the RA two point seven nine on the year, uh, Drew. And just talk about your staff and the guys that uh, were able to put those numbers together.
4: Well, you know, we we had some guys who, uh, who who got some good innings for us last year as sophomores, and so they they carried over that experience. And uh, we really went to work uh, last year. Honestly, when we got put out, um, you know, we were kind of eliminated from the playoffs. Um, early and so we went to work and decided, you know, how are we gonna how are we gonna make this step up? How are we gonna get better um, as the year goes out uh, for the next year? And uh, I talked to Cody and said, what do you how do you want to see us improve? And he said, I want to see us throw more strikes. So we took those guys and we emphasized throwing strikes. Um, and as simple as that sounds, it can be complex. And you know, we don't want it to be based on the umpire. Uh, our philosophy that we carried over was. Uh, compete white on white. We want to throw the white baseball over the white plate, and then the zone doesn't matter. And uh, our guys really bought into that. Um, Luke Smith and, and Logan Ledet have just been phenomenal for us this year. And uh, Trey Wells is kind of the, the unsung hero in all of this. Is he's came in and he's got us out of some tight spots, and he's had to pitch against some of the best teams, best hitting teams around, and uh, he's held his own. Um, so, you know, those three guys have really carried the load. Um, some guys have come in and done a good job and just in buying finding into what we're doing. Um, Aiden also Brooks, the freshman, he came in and made a couple good starts for us. Um, Kay Turnage, when he's not doing uh carrying the load behind the plate and really handling the staff, he he's done some quality innings for us and, and filled up the zone. So, really, you know, it's been those three guys will get all the credit, but really, it's it's an up and down the staff thing. So, it you know, you don't put up an ERA under three with just a couple guys it's a group effort and uh it's a, it's a group buying into what you're what you're selling and uh and seeing the results and so uh i've been proud of how that works been proud of um how committed they are to it and uh they stand they're seeing the fruits of their labor right now
0: drew when you talk about it 14 and 9 a record overall uh good enough in district to win the district and to earn a, a first round buy um Talk about how proud you are of uh, the job that head coach uh, Cody Steigner has done, and and for this club to win that district championship.
4: Man, it it was a it was a great great accomplishment. It was kind of a, a weird back thing. Um, you know, last year was really disappointing. We had high hopes. We had a we had a good start to the year and kind of faded, and so we really did a lot of self evaluating as a coaching staff. And really, kind of brought a different level of energy and a different level of focus to our kids, and um, it, and it really turned into a di- whole different level of toughness. And you know, we started out in the district, I think, uh, one and three, and to turn around and end up six and three and win the district was huge. Um, you know, just just trying to get a little better every every day. And uh, Cody brought that to him and said, "You know what, guys? We don't need you to get leaps and bounds better. We just need to get one percent better every day. Just give this much more." And our kids bought into that, and uh, and you know, the win in the district was huge. Uh, you know, and especially when you go to a hostile environment like Carrier in a, in a must-win game, and uh, and you turn around and you find a way to get it done. That's that it speaks volumes about our kids, and it speaks volumes about the job that Cody's done.
1: You know, you know, Drew, when you mentioned Carrier, and I'm I'm going to bring up how how difficult is it to keep the team and the pitching staff focused on the next game ahead. Okay, you had a first round bye. You faced Stone, who beat a tough Natchez team this weekend. So you got the Stone Tomcats ahead of you uh, for the second round. But then on the other side you've got PRC playing West Harrison. So how how difficult is it to keep the focus of these young men on the Nets game instead of looking forward to maybe playing that PRC again with the inner uh, county rival and stuff like that. So just talk about the difficulty, if there is any, of keeping these young men's focus on the Nets game up.
4: Well, we kind of preach to them uh, one pitch at a time, and that's something that uh, that we brought in with the pitching staff whenever I took over, in, uh, over the pitchers in 2013, that the most important pitch that you're about to see is the next one. And so you can't get caught up in in looking ahead. And, you know, teenage kids, their minds are always going to wander. You know, you you can't help it. It's going to do it. But I think our kids do a good job of staying focused. And, you know, during this bye week, Cody did a good job of uh, bringing in Oak Grove. You know, Mm -hmm. he he said, we're going to play a game. So we're not going to just schedule anybody. We're going to go get, you know, perennial state champion and go play them. And, uh, you know, we swept them. Um, We took two games from Oak Grove. We pitched really well against them. And, you know, for us that was huge for us as a staff because that was a team that uh george county's got two guys who are probably going to be pro-draft as pitchers um both low to mid 90 guys and Oak and uh put up 22 runs against them Mm. in two games and we held them to 11 with with our guys you know and and some of those were unearned but we we held them down in the first game scoreless for six and two-thirds you know so uh it, it was a big momentum for us because we just focused on the next opponent and then uh Whoever gets who's ever next, that's just who we focus on them. And um, but living one pitch at a time really kind of keeps them reined dead and focused on not worrying about what's happened in the past not what's going to happen next, but really just focusing on where what's happening right now.
0: Uh, Drew, just to kind of piggyback off of the question that uh, Jeff just asked right there, the scheduling—you've you've seen West Harrison and you've seen Biloxi, you've seen Oak Grove throughout the year. Seeing some of those out-of-district opponents, and, and no uh, disrespect to the district, that's a good district that y'all competed in. But that out-of-district scheduling, how can that help you this time of year uh, with playoff play?
4: Well, I think it really helps you because you see lineups that are really, really, really deep. Uh, so, you know, when you get to the point where you play an opponent where the, their top five is really, really, really salty, but the bottom four, you know, maybe you can you can take advantage of, it really helps you lock in and understand what you need to do. You know, uh, when you look at Oak Grove, when you look at uh, Belux specifically, one through nine were just, they were really, really, really good. So it, it helps our focus level and understanding what it takes to get 21 outs against those guys. But you have to be focused in on every pitch. And he carried that laser-like focus over to a team like West Harrison, who's got a very, very, very good lineup, but they got some holes in it as a spots. To where you can kind of, you can kind of get in and out of there pretty quick and move move the line along a little bit. So it helps you because it gives you the ability to say, you know what, we went against the best of the best. We 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 went, we ran through those lineups that we can do it against anybody, and it gives you a level of confidence that that's, uh, that's unshaken, really.
0: Drew, I'm going to kind of chase something here, and it's going to be baseball nerd talk, so our listeners can just excuse for a minute. But you talk about white over white or white on white as far as um, pitching and throwing strikes. I'm a suffering Braves fan, and I'm watching uh, just so many walks, walks after walks that are just killing the Braves. My question is, when you're in the dugout or when you're watching a drill or seeing, what what are you looking for to help your guys – uh, throw strikes, and what are some indicators like, okay, this guy's going to be okay, we're going to see a lot of strikes out of him tonight?
4: Well, honestly, Clay, it's a lot of feel for me. You know, what is what is he feeling? Um, I want I want the pitcher to talk to me and tell me what he's feeling so I can tell him how to fix it. Because um, I can see it, but if he doesn't feel it, it's, it's kind of one of those, uh, those things where you're kind of wasting your breath. It's like, it's like shooting basketball. You know when your jump shot's going to be on or whether it's going to be off, when it leaves your fingers, if it's going to go in or if it's not. It's the same way with with pitching, and it's something that's really neglected. Um, But when the ball comes off your fingertips, you should know whether it's going to be a strike or a ball. Um, You should have that kind of feel for it. So um, what we try and do, honestly, is we chart a lot of bullpen, um, early in the year especially. And we try and see, okay, well, um, let's just say Joe Schmo on the staff, he really commands the ball inside the righties very well but he doesn't throw the ball away or throw the ball away very well. So we're going to pitch to his strength um, to where you put him in a position where he throws the highest percentage of strikes. That way he's going to have more success in the long run because you're pitching to his strengths rather than someone else's weaknesses.
0: That makes a lot of sense, man. If we could just get the Bravos out of the pen to do uh, some of that, <laughs> I'd be a much happier camper. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. Drew, looking at um, Jeff brought it up, y'all face Stone uh, potentially tomorrow. That's when it's scheduled, just depending on uh, what this weather um, does tomorrow. Tell us what you know about uh, Stone, y'all's second-round opponent, as is, is y'all earned that by the first round.
4: Well, they're, they're a real young team. Um, Sean Miller does a good job with them over there. He came in from Ocean Springs. This is the second year there, and, uh, you know, he's, he's working on him, And in about two years, nobody's going to want to play film. Um, their number one is a sophomore. Their number two is a freshman, Wow! you know, up and down the lineup. I don't think they have room really many seniors at all. Um, you know, you can kind of look at the numbers and just throw them out, um, because they're kind of ugly on paper, mm-hmm. but you know, the kind of team, you know, you know, the kind of team that they're going to have, they're going to play hard. they're going to be a reflection of their community. They're going to be blue collar. They're going to go to work and they're going to, they're going to fight every pitch. And so, um you got look at it and you know you can't look at the numbers and caught up in it and say, Well, we're just gonna roll the ball out there. You gotta go out there and bring in every single pitch because they're gonna play very, very, very hard and they're gonna be welcome.
0: Yeah, it was interesting. You uh, know, Drew, you look and then um which I know it's not y'all's a so y'all may not be paying as close of attention to it, but just what pass was able to do uh to Summerall, you know, push them really to the brink in a series that I didn't see coming. And uh just talking, actually talking to uh, Trey Wells about it on Sunday, it got his full attention, which I thought was pretty heady of him. Like, look, you know, in playoff baseball, anything can happen, and I think that was a good wake-up call.
4: Oh, absolutely! Anything can happen in playoff baseball. If you get hot at the right time, you can beat anybody. So you gotta you gotta strap it on every day and get ready to go to work. Because now you'll be sitting at home real fast.
0: Well, Drew, we wish y'all continued luck, man, and and make a deep playoff run. We appreciate your time tonight.
4: I uh, appreciate it, Clay. And Jeff, thank you all once again.
1: If you're looking to insure a new house, car, or motorcycle, give Advantage Insurance Company a call at 601-749-8790 or go by and see Shauna Oder or any one of her friendly agents and let them go to work for you. Advantage Insurance is located at 4201 Highway 11 North in Picayune. Mugshots Grill and Bar is a proud sponsor of the Talking Ball Y'all podcast. Mugshots is a place with great food, good drinks, a sporty atmosphere, and prices that keep the customers coming back for more. Visit one of their 17 locations throughout Mississippi, Louisiana, and Alabama. Mugshots Grill and Bar, every sports fan's destination. We're fortunate enough tonight on the podcast to be joined by Gus Kattengale, host of the Sports Hangover on ESPN Radio 100.3 New Orleans and ESPNradio.com. It's from uh, noon to 3, Monday through Friday. And, uh, Gus, uh, thanks for joining Clay and I tonight on the podcast.
3: Sure, man. Always a pleasure, man. How you guys doing?
1: We're doing great. Uh, Gus, uh, you know, to get right into it, it's, it's playoff basketball season time. It's baseball season time, but tomorrow starts the day for every, you know most sports fans uh, around New Orleans area. In this area, as we record in Picayune, Mississippi, it's the NFL Draft. Uh, what about the New Orleans Saints? Ha- have you heard a little bit going into this draft? Uh, you know, they've got no first-round pick, they've got no third-round pick, and no fourth-round pick. They've got a second, mm-hmm. a five, two sixes, and a seven, or two sevens, I'm sorry, so... What, as your ear is to the ground as you are doing your show Noon to 3 on, uh, right. on ESPN Radio, what are, you, what are you hearing from the Saints organization as, as they do that?
3: Well, the beauty of it is uh, when it comes to Mickey Loomis, who book on Monday, Sean Payton yesterday at the Pro-Am, you, you, I, I guess it's a good thing that they've been around together as a unit for 2000, since 2006, and you learn to kind of understand and read what they do. They're not going to tell you much mickey's known for that um but you kind of pick out certain things out of it more than anything else I, i think you just use common sense more often than not fans are fans man fans want this they want that trade him for that we want everybody um you know the world was ending man the first two days of legal tampering when free agency started and you had you know, no moves being made and Mark Ingram leaves. And I'm telling you, it's hilarious. The guy that (laughs) nobody liked up until two years ago, all of a sudden, the Saints won't make the playoffs because Mark (laughs) Ingram left. How could they not pay him? How dare the Saints? They didn't treat him. And then it comes out that they actually gave more guaranteed Mm. money to Latavius Murray than the Ravens gave Ingram. And then they went, oh, that's well, Mm. your agent's an idiot. And we're like, exactly. That's what we heard that they wanted eight to nine mil, and the Saints were like, yeah, sorry, called Latavius Murray immediately and said, we need you. So the Saints actually saved money, and it is what it is at the end of the day. The agent that Mark Ingram decided to go use instead of a veteran agent mm. that he had been using wound up hurting him. So that's what that happened there. Alex Okafor struck the lottery, man, and got a four-year deal, big money. The right. Saints weren't going to pay him that. And at the end of the day, what did they do last year? They used the first-round pick Last year and this year to get Marcus Davenport. So
1: that's right. You know,
3: you look at what you lost, and then the surprise my Mark, you know, Max Hunger. But that's it. So my point that I'm rambling about is this: you still are a playoff team, aren't you? I mean, if we're mm-hmm. going to go with what I've heard for the last nauseating several weeks and months about how the Saints were a flag away from the Super Bowl, which I hear you and in- determined it it could have still had a minute so left to win that game
4: that's right don't
3: settle for field goals and score touchdowns take care of business like my theme this year is finish strong 2.0 they mm-hmm. get it in
5: 2009
3: they got to get back to that this year minnesota show up score point you're not down to the minnesota miracle right make a first down in which it was their huge problem two seasons ago third down conversion they get a first down then their kicker is lining up, and the Saints are kicking that ball as time expires instead of having to kick the ball off to the Vikings and defend the final 30 seconds. So you got to finish, and that's where the Saints are. But regardless, you're still a playoff-caliber team. You still have a championship window of players. You're no longer just Drew Brees. You have three, four, five players that are building blocks on your franchise. So that said... Why is everyone panicking? Like, I don't understand. We don't have a first-round pick. I'm like, great. How many players made the, the team last year? How many do you look at this year? I get you don't get a one, three, four. That stinks. Most of this team built two and three, second, third-round draft picks. So I understand that. But realistically, guys, how many sixth and seventh-round draft picks are making this team? You know? That's I hard. mean, if the fifth round going to have a heck of a time trying to get in there. Um, so I get it. I mean, just you have to use common sense. So when Mickey Loomis Monday says, hey, look, the deep draft, we like where we are at 62, let's see what happens. I think he's telling the truth. When Sean Payton yesterday says, hey, look, at 62, I think we can still get a good player. We You addressed the needs that you needed in free agency. You got a kick returner, which has been a problem. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a legit guy. That's what he's done with the Vikings. That's his role. Um you, you added depth on the defensive line. I actually think you probably got better, you know, with Brown and Edwards to, to help that four man rotation of, you know, Anyamada and Rankins when he comes back healthy and they picked up his fifth-year option. So they believe that he's gonna come back healthy from that Achilles injury. And then you also look at Latavius Murray and Jared Cook. That helps the fact that you don't have to go have to go get receiver, because that's the other thing we're getting here, man. Fans want a receiver. Mm-hmm. They convinced that a receiver. And I try to slow the roll a bit and say, hey, you know one of the reasons you keep thinking that? The offensive line was unbelievably injured the last half of the season. So we're going to get into where this should go and stuff. But um, I think what you're hearing from the Saints, what you're hearing from the people that cover Team, is literally they put themselves in a great position. And that is because they can go BPA, best player available at 62. And they can take their time and they have a lot of options that they can go do. Because you're building for depth in this draft. Two, three drafts ago, you're looking for starters, guys. Right? I mean, two years ago, Kamara, Thomas, you were looking at Rattimore. They needed to be starters. Mm-hmm. They needed to start. You're not there last year. You got better. So going into this season, you need depth. I need quality depth. Maybe there's a guy who can come in and help me and do that. But let's be honest. The Saints are not in the position where they need this draft and these guys that they draft. To come in and be starters, and that's a very good thing to have because that means you're good.
1: You know, Gus, and, and as a Saints fan, me and my partner sitting across uh, the table from me, we're South Mississippi, as I mentioned, in Picky, Mississippi, about 50 miles north of New Orleans. As a Saints fan growing up, you know, the quarterback is what we needed. Now we have a quarterback in Drew Brees, and we know as a Saints fan that he's ending – his career is in sight. The sun is going to be setting on his career – what are the Saints looking to do uh, for, you know, coming behind Drew Brees? You know, we, we've we got Hill back there, but Hill has been, as they said, the Swiss Army knife on the team. He basically went to Coach Sean Payton and said, I'll play wherever you needed me. And he's on the special teams. He's on <laughs> offense, you know, running some uh, uh, quarterback options and, and doing all kind of things. But where is, where is this team going to go to ease the, the mind of Saints fans in the quarterback realm of things?
3: That's interesting. Um you know John Forcade loves will Greer, and he's been you know on our show a couple of times he'll be part of our draft special at Hooters on Friday, and he's just you know he loves him some will greer <laughs> now look i i I absolutely you look at just um you know history this team has been absolutely aggressive in the draft um they they've moved up, so do I think they make the trade to move? sure i just don't see it in the first round i mean i i played the game of what ifs this week and i'm like give me who, who, who give me the ricky williams scenario right if you got okay to give all the draft picks this year who is it you're going who stands out in the draft that you want i mean i got my guy but you know you're moving in the top five right right I, I love devin white right and i can argue why i love devin white more than a lot but i that's fine but that's it i mean like i you know, you're going to go into 15 to 20, 20 to 25. Because my point is your mortgaging picks next year. You not. You don't have anything this year that teams are going to say, sure, move into the late first round, a mid-first round. I just don't see that happening. So you're going to be using a second, a third, or first next year. So you bring up one of the reasons why. If this is Drew Brees' final season, then I've always believed you're going to have a bridge quarterback before the future, future quarterback. And I've always thought it's going to be a veteran because you have a playoff-ready roster team. It's attractive to veteran quarterbacks, and more importantly, that's what you need. You have a lot of talent. You don't need a playmaker, a guy that can sort of lead and be the end-all, be-all for your offense. So I need a guy that doesn't trip, gets the ball to the guys Mm -hmm. I need to, and, you know, just don't kill me. I do need a game manager. So is that Teddy? Look, I have a hard time believing guys that they didn't have that conversation. There's no way... He gives up a chance to start settles for the highest paid contract of a backup in the league. If he hadn't at least had a conversation with champagne goes, but when drew calls it, this is your offense and who wouldn't want this team to inherit it. right? Right. He'd be two years in the system. He would understand it. So your initial answer is it's Teddy Bridgewater. I really honestly believe that there's no way that conversation hadn't happened. Secondly, I think if there is a player that they do like, I could see them doing that. If Will Greer happens to be there, they they spend a lot of time with him. And, again, I don't know if that's just one guy I'm saying. Um, And he's still available early to mid-second. Could I see them move up into the second to go get him? I, I, I can. But next year's quarterback class is a little better. But, again, guys, if this is a team that's a playoff team, that's a team that's competing for the Super Bowl, picking second to last like they are this year in rounds because they went to the conference title game, then they're not going to be picking high. So you need your assets next year. If I don't think it's Teddy, if I think it's a guy I need to move up into the first round, I'm going to need that first round pick. I'm going to need that second round pick. I'm going to need three, four. You get what I'm getting at? Yes. So mortgaging next year's draft picks, to try and hope that I can get somebody to do what this year because that's the next answer you need to to, to come up with with the question if I'm moving in then what am I doing it for am I so if I'm doing that moving to the first round well then I'm saying this guy gets me in the Super Bowl so who is it yeah
5: now, and I
0: mean, you you bring up a good point too Gus I mean if you're if your team's out in the NFL and you had to pick a different situation as far as the way that Sean Payton and his staff coming back in good shape. You've got a team, certainly in the Saints, that are in really good shape. And even without the picks, they're going to be one of the younger still teams in the NFL. I don't think you could really point to a lot of franchises or teams that are going to roll into next year in much better shape than the Saints.
3: Exactly. And look, it's the other thing, too, guys. I mean, I think, like I said, you just keep – you know, it's just common sense to me and do it. And, and I can tell you just from covering this guy since he got here, man, the, from the gum that he chews to the things he posts in the <laughs> locker room to how it's placed in the locker room to when he decides to call a player out or not or bring up an injury because he never, everything and anything that ever comes out of Sean Payton's mouth has been carefully thought of, gone through checklisted, and then it, then it comes out as, as words. I mean, it, there. I promise you, there are very few times, if I can even think of any, where it's an off-the-cuff, I mean, he'll stop himself or he won't say something. Mm-hmm. I mean, every eye gleam, every next question, everything, to, to a detriment at times. But my point being, there is no way that this man is going to look at what he has right now And not have plan Z on the draft board, plan Z to the future of this team, or where are they going? It's no coincidence that as the injuries happened last year, guys, a player was signed immediately. This guy's on top of it. He he knows. He said it last year. He has a board every day that they update of players available if they suffer an injury. So if he's that prepared normally on an everyday thing during the season, you think he's not understanding the preparedness to who's going to quarterback his football team when he's got a, a roster of young talent co- considerably or arguably at corner receiver and running back a player that's in the top five or three at their position. There's no way. I mean, there's, no right, way. Right. there's no way. There's no That's that They're going, right. nah, hell, we'll worry about quarterback. When it... No mm-hmm. way. And you know what? I mean, <laughs> right. no way. So, he knows he has an eye probably on a guy that has been playing quarterback at a college for the last couple of years. Look, Pat Mahomes was going to be the quarterback of the New Orleans Saints if he fell one more spot. And he offered that info, right? Right. on draft night a couple of years ago. That's right. So I have a hard time believing he never paid attention to him at Texas Tech or anything like that. He has his eye on a couple of college QBs, and he absolutely knows what's going here in the future. And, again, I – there's no way Teddy Bridgewater came back this year to just, hey, come hold the clipboard and we'll we'll talk at the end of the year. No way, no how.
0: And, Gus, when you look at that quarterback position with the way that he calls plays and his aggressive play calling, uh, the way he is a quarterback's type coach there, then you've got the wide receiver and Thomas. The backfield looks to be uh, secure for a while. If you do get into down the road trying to recruit a veteran quarterback to come your way, all those things would be pretty favorable, I would think, to the Saints too.
3: Uh, I agree, I, and that's the thing. I mean, you're, look. I mean, you, you saw and heard this year from all the guys that signed with the team. One of the reasons they wanted to it's because they have a chance to win because of the organization, because of the coach, because of where they're going. So, yeah, I mean, you're talking about attractiveness. I mean, it's you know what the Pels are trying to get to. They're trying to be a, a destination, a place that people go there because they think they can win championships. That's where the Saints are. That's where I think they're going to be for the next couple of years. And it's why I think that it's it was a veteran quarterback that's going to be that way. Because at the end of the day, who wouldn't want that team, mm-hmm. dude? I want Michael Thomas <laughs> to go, too. I'll hand it off to Kamara. I mean, I got right. a nice young line, young defense to play with. Got a coach that's going to do that. And, and Sean said it, that... The next offense isn't going to look like anything that Drew Brees runs. But he's going to tailor it to that quarterback, mm-hmm. what he does, what he can do, and everything like that. So, you know, it's just it's always funny because fans sometimes kind of look at it, who's gonna do it? Dude, you trust him with everything else. I mean, <laughs> people will defend him on Twitter for everything, right? Yet they don't trust that again, the most important position in football. He hadn't thought about it. Come on. Right.
1: And, and Gus, you mentioned it. We're going to transition it. You mentioned the Pelicans. We're going to – you know, we're in the middle of NBA playoffs. Of course, the Pels uh, did not make the playoffs, but they just had a recent hire as the president of basketball operations, David Griffin, who's uh, no stranger to the spotlight. He was up there with LeBron James in Cleveland, uh, you know, running things up there. What is it – what does the fans have to look for – going into this offseason, and kind of predicting to next season from this Pelicans team?
3: Wow, I, uh, we could do an entire podcast on that. <laughs> so, look, there's one thing that's been interesting. I, I have, um, I, I've I followed this team, obviously, since they first got here. I loved it. I've been through the Dan Dickow days and, and seen it to where it's transitioning now um, and been pretty on point with a lot of the, the thoughts and feelings of it. I haven't felt this excited and I can just give you the sense and feel from people that are here that have covered this team. When, when reporters compare it to the Sean Payton initial press conference in his introduction, Mm. that says something right then and there. Okay. Yes. Can you win the day on the press conference? Whoop! you do? Right. Every (laughs) (laughs) every coach, we're going to win. I I did it. And and a lot of times it comes across as coach speaking. Look, I think it's cute, right? I mean, you know, lane got the new basketball. We're going to go to a tournament. Fantastic. Coach, you didn't win the conference game last year and half your team transferred out. Good luck, Coach Ron Hunter. <laughs> I mean, I mean, that's,
5: yeah. but,
3: I mean that's, that's a fact. So I can look at it. So you look at situation, you look at speak. Um, what stood out, though, with David Griffin was this. When we had Brian Winhorst on our show, Kurt Helan, and um, and the lead writer for the Athletic that, uh, that covers the NBA, all three guys, I didn't even know at the time. I knew Brian Windhorst did because he covered the Cavs, so right. I knew he had a relationship, which is why I wanted him on. But everybody else, I didn't know. They knew him personally. They knew him well. They they known him from this get, you know, from his days literally of being a, a video guy, you know, um, with the Suns. Like he, he cut video. So this is a guy that's worked through the rings. He's done it all. He's he's been in PR. He's been in media uh, under teams you know, assistant GM the work. So he's done the grunt stuff and he's run a team and he's won a championship. There were three things that stood out in that press conference that got me excited and should propel fans. First and foremost, he's respected.
5: Mm-hmm.
3: Period. End of story. Um, you have to shape and re-change and re how people view that franchise and team. Um, it was viewed and it was written about as a team that nobody cared, you know, you got Van Gundy during one of the mm. national games this year, wondering if anybody right. even oh covers gracious. the team. On a, is there even a beat writer, which was disrespectful. Right. I, yeah. I mean, I, I can mm. He would never say that about another organization.
0: No, nah, that you know? was I mean, terrible. You, you really
3: mm. think that they don't have any paid people that do it? Now that said, yeah, he's right. Scott Kushner and a couple of the other people. Jake Matt, all these guys, they have other jobs because they don't make enough money covering mm-hmm. it. But whose fault is that? Is it theirs? Is it the employers? No. The problem is that this city has been a football city. Why? It's been fifty plus years, man. I mean, mm, you know, bro. fifty plus years to going on twenty, um, and not a lot of winning in it. I mean, people forget. When the Saints were 7-9, and nine, I was there in the press box watching the Dome empty out in the third quarter when Carolina was beating the Saints' butts. The Ravens were beating their butt. It was empty. They were giving away tickets. Last two seasons, go
5: Saints! Mm-hmm. Yeah, why?
3: Because they're winning, right? Uh-huh. So I was also in the arena when we were one game away from the Western Conference Finals when Chris Paul mm. was the runner-up to the MVP to Kobe Bryant. And, and had a get, corner
0: three, if I remember right, <laughs> Gus, that if a corner yeah. three goes in, we're, we're right Dude, there.
3: I mean, yes, so winning matters. But, again, David Griffin's a guy that immediately brought respectability and, more importantly, just he eats, breathes, and sleeps basketball. That's mm-hmm. what you needed. That is what I've been yelling for for years. A person that eats, breathes, sleeps, And has given the power and authority to write checks, to make payments, to do what sees fit, and only reports to the owner. That's all that needs to happen. The owner needs to show up, like all this stuff, like when Mr. Benson was still alive and, you know, he needs to go to work. No, he doesn't. He's a billionaire owner. He's in his 80s. Go (laughs) to your yacht, dude. Show up (laughs) to the game. You don't need it like I thought it was nice to kept saying he goes to his office and he works. I'm like, what are you working on? What do you doing? <laughs> right. I mean? Your job is to hire <laughs> the people to run it. You know, now if you want to hold the meeting, hey, how are we doing, guys? How's the podcast going? Great. But I hired you two guys to do a podcast for my station. You know, mm-hmm. it's like do that. And and that successful teams where ownership goes, Here you go, here are the keys, here's your budget, let's go win. And you and you hire the right people. So the fact that he immediately dies last week from Wednesday to this week, he's been on the jump. He's mm-hmm. had a cover story on every publication, website, the works, and it's all been what? Positive. Yeah, no I- longer is the pals are a dumpster fire, A B can't wait to leave. No, the guy changed the narrative in less than seven days. Now it's he's gonna get A B to stay. Wow, I mean, like, the neg- it's not negative anymore. No right. one's talking about them like a dumpster. No one knows what's going on there. Who wants that job? No one's doing that. I watched the jump yesterday. Richard Jefferson, Amin uh, Hassan, and Rachel Nichols basically were, they were practically giddy inter- interviewing him. You know, like, they love the guy. So, respectability. He says that he knows Danny Ainge because he worked for Danny Ainge. I mean, again, y- you hired hmm. somebody that knows the ins and outs of the league, knows them, and more importantly, isn't going to get swindled. And people know that, right? When you respect somebody, that initial conversation and phone call doesn't start with the, hold on, check this out. <laughs> stop,
5: yeah. stop laughing, they can hear that, you. That's right. Hey,
3: um, how about Lazo Ball and some
5: shit? That sounds good?
3: Shut up, he can hear you. No, stop it. You don't, you don't do that. Their first conversation, will be like, all right, man, what do you need? I mean, that, that so. The initial conversation is serious. You know, it's not that. So that's the first thing. The second thing, is he understands infrastructure is important, you've got to invest. What I mean invest, you invest in your team, you're investing in your people, you're investing in your fans. Look, nothing annoys me more than being around here and hearing people go, well, nobody cares about basketball. I'm like, well, why? Well, because no one talks about it. I mean, like, we're one of the few stations that actually does and has guests and talks about the NBA and gets you to understand it. Well, look at LSU, it's baseball, because they haven't won. Because no one talks about it. It's always football, football, football. If you talk about the game and the sport and you get people to understand why it's important or what it is, then they would. Because if you go to different parts of the country, it's not football, football, football. You go up there where, you know, in the Carolinas, dude, it's basketball, basketball, mm-hmm. basketball. You go a little further north, it's basketball and hockey. I mean, you know, it's like it depends where you go. you got the big sports out west and stuff, you know. They look at baseball programs. Half those stadiums didn't have lights. Now, beach volleyball, I mean, you know, I mean, indoor volleyball, <laughs> you know, things like that. I mean, those are like, dude, y'all don't do that. So it's very regional. But more importantly, it's just getting the information out there. But this guy can do it. I've already had conversations with people internally in there um, from posi- every position you can think of, man. And it is sweeping change and the right change. Everyone is just high fiving in that building because. Now they're being run like a real NBA team, and and I, you know, and that's what needed to happen. You have got to have separation. It's two different demographics, mm-hmm. it's two markets. It's consumed differently. Um, you know, I mean, the NBA has the, the referees tweet during games to answer <laughs> questions for fans. The NFL acts like it's the holiest of holies. You know, to even question a call. I mean, you know, it's ridiculous. Right, right. So it's just it's just different. I mean, going to the Atlanta Hawks team page. Click team, and you will see the players' roster, and underneath them, is their Facebook, their Instagram, and their Snapchat names. They want you to interact with mm-hmm. them. LeBron interacts with people. It's like it's just a it's completely different. Sean Payton bans social media, and it's a, he put a blocker to so where you can't use Facebook and Twitter on his locker room in the NBA. They want you to
5: do it. So it's
3: two completely things. You cannot have state staff running Pelican stuff because it's two different worlds. So that's another reason why I'm super excited about them. What you can expect out of it, man, I'll make it short and sweet. You can go in so many directions. You're going to get a decent lottery pick May 14th today. Pray, light a candle, Mm -hmm. do whatever it is you need to (laughs) do, rub the bottom of a possum, do whatever. Because if they can get the top four, Mm. that's a solid pick. If you can get a top four pick to go with what you get from the Anthony Davis trade, that's awesome. If you get him to stay, and this is why David Griffin, I think, said it, he changed the power and the leverage to him. Whereas every other team in the league was going, dude, he wants out. So, again, here's our offer. Well, now he's going, hey, we may keep him. You need him more than we need to lose him
1: because, mm-hmm. right.
3: you know, he's under contract for another year. So it can hold on to him, guys, until February when the trade deadline hits and teams that are desperate to get in mm-hmm. will then up the ante and now it's a bidding war. So he's in a position of power simply by coming out last Wednesday and saying, you know what, we are got to talk and I think he's going to want to stay. He, he may, Trust me, no fan here wants him here, okay? Right. <laughs> they want him gone. But nationally, publicly, he made it look like, oh, okay, well, hold on. So guess what he did? Other GMs around the league are going, man, we need to call Have you called him yet? We, we need to call him. We have got to call him and find out what's going on. We, we want AD. We don't want this to get anywhere else. So I think it was brilliant from that aspect of it. And if you get – some young pieces, you get some draft picks, you get a top four lottery pick. Guys, there's no reason they can't compete for the eighth spot next year. they honestly is no reason. So I'm excited to see what comes in
5: the future.
0: Gus, when you look at, and we're talking NBA, which I love to do, when you look at Holiday and the way that he performed last year against Dame, and then when you see what Dame was able to do Uh, With Westbrook in this first round. How underrated is Holiday and how underappreciated is he in this market? Um, The way that Holiday competed last year in the playoff, like how underrated and underappreciated is is he in this market?
3: Um, Look, man, I'll tell you what. It's just funny how you say it in terms of how underrated or unappreciated because I think the thing that you bring up. It's true. Look, when you look at what was he was able to do, it was pretty incredible because I thought last year, you can make the argument that he won the Portland series. He mm-hmm. became the guy that wanted to take the big shot. And, and if you watch the Portland series this year, dude, how good a job <laughs> did he do on on, yeah. on Damian Lillard and McCollum, mm-hmm. you know? So when you look at it from that perspective, yeah, he was incredible. But you know what? It was what he did the week that AD peaced out and had everybody else speak for him other than himself. That to me was the day that my perception of Drew Holiday changed. I thought he was a nice player, nice two-way player, one of them under, you know, underappreciated, under kind of cover guys in the NBA. Um, No doubt no one really talks about him, buys his jerseys. So I hear you. Um, And you're right on that aspect. But I think – how he's perceived and viewed here absolutely changed when he was the guy on Tuesday or Monday that came out and spoke at practice when AD didn't address the media the day after he told everybody he was out, which I thought was chicken bleep. Mm, you know what I'm saying? Right. I mean, that, that's, that's unbelievable. Alvin Gentry and Drew Holiday were forced to tell people and talk mm. why you're leaving and, and what's the difference and why it is that you're choosing to go. And then he had an entire week to do it. And what I thought was interesting that during that time, in those five days, you heard from Julia Locafor to Julius Randall to other players say Drew Holiday was our leader. Drew, This is Drew's team. Mm-hmm. While AD's in the locker room. <laughs> uh-huh. So that spoke volumes to me because I think he went in there, mother bleeped people, and said, hey, we're doing it this way or we're not. And then when you look at and listen to what he said at the end of the season in his exit interview with the media, that he said he wanted to make this the best place it can be. He wants to be a part of decision-making, and he wants to do that. That dude could have easily said, get me the hell out of here. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be in here. And he did. And that's what makes it different. So I'll be honest with you. Drew Holiday earned a lot of my respect by how he acted and how he wants to do it, because it's not easy. No one wants to be a part of a rebuild, and no one wants to not have an opportunity to do it. That's why I had a problem with his, hey, let's go to dinner, guys. It's not you, it's me, you know, deal that he did. A.D. rubbed me the wrong way in a lot of things, but that to me is the worst, because he doesn't understand the selfishness of his actions and decisions to do it the way he did it, right? Because if you're going to call them friends and you're going to say you have a good relationship with those guys, you realize when you sabotage the season that way, you kept Drew Holiday from another playoff run.
5: Mm, you right kept
3: right. Julius Randle from getting a chance to go to his first playoff. You kept, you know, Jaleel Okafor from a chance to go to the postseason. You kept a lot of these players that didn't have that opportunity, that never have gone there. You sabotaged it. Brian Windhorst said it last Wednesday to us, and I thought it was it was pretty eye-opening. When he sat down with Anthony Davis on September, before the season started, he knew he had checked out and he knew that Mm. he was leaving that. And that was before you ticked off a regular season game. So that's what bothers me, is that they had a lot of people that may or may never be on that team again, dude, and you prevented and didn't help them to do it because you didn't give your all. It was clear and apparent when he wanted to show up and play that on days he absolutely checked out. That's the thing that bothers me. But at the same time, it's also why on that Tuesday when they played the Warriors to end the season, I said thank you. Because if he doesn't do it, guys, Dell Demps is probably still the GM. Who knows what they do. Right. It's probably a Band-Aid mm-hmm. approach. It doesn't wake up Mrs. Benson. Because at the end of the day, when someone says no thank you to $240 million guaranteed, mm. and if he would have played his final season this year, And then said, "I want the extension. It would have been three hundred million dollars. So he he was he was eligible to sign the extension this summer. But if he played the final year of his contract, he could have signed a three hundred million dollar deal. Guys, think about that. That's right. So, and that's what I kept saying on my show. As a business owner, when someone says no, thank you to three hundred million (laughs) dollars, you have to ask yourself whether." You're in the bathroom, you're in the tub, you're just sitting there to your thoughts, you're enjoying the whiskey, looking at a picture of Tom going, what's going on? You have to imagine at some point in time there was a moment of reflection. Well, Gail Benson just went, he said no. I mean it was like yeah. I mean, she she had to have. And then if you're remotely a business person or just remotely with any kind of common sense, you have to ask right after that why. Why would he do that? Why would he say no? Why would someone look at my business and say, you know, I don't, I don't want to be here when I'm giving
5: you <laughs> willingly, and
3: and you know, I'm I'm telling you that I'm giving you two hundred and forty or three hundred million dollars. I made you the face of the family. Why? But because of that, you realize. Well, you know what? You didn't promote them. I mean. He wasn't tied to any local businesses here. Yeah, you can say it's his agent, but it's also the team.
5: Mm-hmm. The
3: team can sell him. The team can sell his picture. You know, I mean, Jimmy Graham was in every smoothie king all around the state here. He wasn't tied to any local businesses. I mean, put him on a Tabasco bottle, dude. Yeah, I right. mean, you know I mean? <laughs> mm-hmm. Seriously, the fact that he wasn't around anywhere, I thought was a huge and massive failure. And... And I think it rubbed him the wrong way, and that's why he wants to go where he's – it's about the limelight for him. And I get that, dude. If that's what is important to you, so be it, man. You know, via Dios. I mean, that's fine. I just – to me, that, that you know, that, there was a lot of fault and blame in there. But, again, what did you expect? All they knew. I mean, you have, you have a guy who was a car salesman who went into football, and you know what? His best decision was to hire Mickey Loomis and Sean Payton, and they ran it. They ran it for him. Benson wasn't making the moves of the decisions. Those two gentlemen were. So what they needed to do was to do that on the other side. So they didn't know any better. To them, it's just another organization, another team that you run, and, you know, you do it the same. You, you call up and you go, hey, do you want tickets to go to the game? You know, and they, but it's different. It's done differently. It's treated differently. And none of that comes about, man, if you don't um, right. blow it up. And, and and what blew it up was A.D. telling them peace.
1: Mm-hmm. So. Well, you know, Gus, we appreciate you joining us tonight. And once again, tell our listeners uh, where they can find you and how they can follow you and, and listen to your show uh, Monday through Friday. ESPN Radio,
3: NOLA, you can always check it out on the TuneIn Radio app. It's absolutely free, dude. Um, it's great. You can, I mean, Todd, a friend of mine, Graffinini, voice of the Green Wave, he listen. I mean, if you have Wi-Fi, he listens to us when we travel on an airplane. So <laughs> it's a great, <laughs> great app. So you can listen to the show always and everywhere, and, um, you know, we're on here in New Orleans, obviously 100.3, but do that. Follow me on Twitter at one 17 and at ESPN Radio Nola where I always her tweeting and talking about a bunch of stuff and always appreciate any comments, man.
1: Well, Gus, we appreciate you joining us uh, for tonight's episode and uh, giving, you, uh, giving us some of your time, and we'll hope to uh, maybe do it again here in the near future.
0: Yeah, man, anytime. Just give me a call. I appreciate it. Thank you, Gus. For sure, man.
1: Making decisions on when and where to further your education is a big step in life. So let Pearl River Community College be the destination for you. Pearl River offers the first two years of any major and over 42 career and technical programs. They have three locations to better serve your educational needs the Hancock Center at 454 Highway 90 Suite D in Waveland, the Forest County Center at 5448 Highway 49 South in Hattiesburg and the main campus located at 101 Highway 11 North in Poplarville. Pearl River Community College. Roll, River, Roll.
0: Coach Hatton joining the podcast here tonight, and also Jason Baker to my right, always across from me, Jeff Lassette. and a special time as Coach Hatton was honored yesterday, was inducted to the Mac Jack Hall of Fame and certainly well-deserved for his days there as head coach for Pearl River Community College. Uh, won four state titles in a row, won a national championship, and played for another, and that's certainly a mouthful in that league and uh, the accomplishments that uh, Coach was able to have there at Pearl River, and uh, a special time for myself and the guy to my right, Jason Baker, was the voice of the Wildcats for all of those uh, victories, and uh, Jeff uh, across from me was along for the tail end of that ride, but uh, Coach Hatton was always certainly great to us as a radio crew, and we're thankful to have you joining the show tonight, Coach.
6: Glad to be here, man. I had a lot of fun, a lot of, a lot of fun in those 11 years in Pearl River County. I tell you, a lot of good people down there, a lot of good football, a lot of good players. Uh, I was fortunate enough to have a lot of good good assistant coaches around me to make up for all my inadequacies. We um, had, uh, the, the uh, you know, John Creech and Buddy Stevens and William Jones and, uh, tell, tell people we, we we probably played a lot more than we worked. Uh, we we had a good time uh, every day. I don't know, you call it work, but it's it was really a, a lot of fun. We enjoyed it. Uh, seems like yesterday. You know, when you start talking to some players, and, and of course you get some 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 comments on. And I'm not a Facebook guy. My wife's on Facebook, so. She'll get. She'll read me some of the comments from the players. They just and all they do is, and it's nice to have her because on Facebook she's my filter. So <laughs> she wasn't there. there's no telling what they would say. I was so kind of
0: thinking she the same thing, Coach. On. Everybody <laughs>
6: should get their wife to do the Facebook. That way you get little buffers on that. Eddie. But uh, <laughs> it's kind of hilarious what they said about Jimmy Oliver was there. Salma Walker showed up. Uh, we had a good time being fair audience. It was a lot of fun. But uh, a lot of fun years, man. A lot of fun years. A lot of good football players. uh, um, cert- certainly, uh, um, um, certainly a high in my coaching career as far as uh, the thirty-one years that I've been coaching. Those eleven were pretty special. And we're we've got a good run going here right now, kind of like it was at Pearl River. It's just you know when we got there, we weren't great. Uh, we, we we were turning the corner. I think Maxfield had us turning the corner, really headed the right direction. We just kind of picked it up and uh, um, took off with it, and it's kind of the same scenario we had here at. The, Chris, you started off a little slow, and now we've got some really good players. And when I second day of spring practice, I told somebody at practice the first day, I said, "You know, I kind of feel like I'm back at Han City and Pearl River with the type of athletes we've got this practice. We had uh, like 107, 108 kids out for spring, not counting the ninth grade class, but uh, some hmm. good players. But 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 Pearl River days certainly exciting days. You guys did a fabulous job. I know I've been fortunate enough to go back a couple of times when y'all were still uh, doing the doing the uh, the radio that Paul River. It's a lot,
0: of fun. a lot of fun. Coach, you look at it. 30, uh, 80 and 30 was your overall uh, record there. That's over a 70% uh, percent winning percentage. Out of those 80 wins, I'm not going to ask you to pinpoint just one, but some uh, special games uh, wins and then. I know in the video that Pearl River was able to put together and Jason here to my right was able to do the voiceover, you actually brought up a loss that kind of stands out in my mind, too, the night that uh, Jimmy <laughs> threw for a billion yards. But some games that maybe stand out along the way, Coach?
6: Well, you know, as a coach, you, you, you remember a lot of your games, Coach. And I remember more, as a coach, the games that we lost, that we should have won, more than I do the games that we won, and you know. That's the thing that really sticks out. When you lose one, you didn't think you really should have lost. But, but I've had some fun with wins and losses. Certainly, I would say that the most fun I've had in the game was whenever we were behind. I think and me and Jimmy were talking about it uh, uh, last night. Uh, I think we were behind 30, I want to say 36, to 38 to 6 at halftime. So, the second half, we scored 42 points in the second half. And he threw, I don't know how many touchdowns he said, I think he threw seven touchdowns. We ended up getting beat 55-40 over that day. But that was probably the most fun in a football game that I've had as far as coaching. And we would just say, so, you know, we'll go in at halftime. And I told the running backs, I said, guys, if you're running back, unless you're, unless you're also a slot receiver, you're probably not going to play the
5: second half. Oh.
6: And I said, I looked over at the putter and said, son, you can rest because you're not <laughs> we're not so oh, So, man. um we just went out there and had fun, you know, and just slung it around. And they had with Jimmy, man. I mean, it, it was just it's just a whole different ball game with that guy, man. Because he, he could do things that, that make you know. You could let two people go up front and block two, and let the other two run free, and they weren't gonna touch him, man. He just you, you, you just couldn't get to it. And then he would reset his feet. He's certainly one of the most dynamic players I've ever seen. Not only from a coaching standpoint, from recruiting, from watching TV. I mean, he's just a, just a phenomenal football player. But Tim, that game really stands out as one of, one of the fun games,
2: you know. Tim, if you remember right, too, uh, as we look back at that game, you know, what got us in the hole was three block punts in that first half, uh, which was unheard of. And if I remember right, they scored on two of the block mm-hmm. punts. So it was 14 nothing off of block punts. And that's one thing that stands out about that game. But, you know, the other, it's the only time I can ever recall in a game of football – where the opposing defensive line never would cross the line of scrimmage. You know, they got tired of chasing him. And I can remember late in that ball game, I mean, it was almost like their fans would scream at them if they crossed that line of scrimmage. And I can just remember after that game, all of us laughing because they didn't know how to defend Jimmy Oliver. They, they didn't have a clue yeah, he was, at that point. Well, today. i tell
6: you, if, if we would have played for it that year, that's a year – Katrina got us, yep. I think mm-hmm. we had to cancel two games and there was a couple of teams, teams that finished finish 10 and one and mm-hmm. we finished eight more because we, you know, we, we we didn't play those two games. It, it was at it a while, East Mississippi, and we probably would have beat them by about 50 apiece, at least. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, there's no way they would have beat us. And we really, and we were the defending national champions. You know, we don't lose that game and, and you know, the storm doesn't come. We still play for it, but you know, I mean, it is what it is. And, and uh, well, I didn't take a didn't take a lot of shine off his performance as a starter, twenty and one as a starter and that, uh, you know, he just made everybody so good around him. And, and let me say this, there were some great players around him back. Mm-hmm. You talk about Larry Bracken, you talk about about Vance uh, uh, Richmond mm-hmm. and Seth Hayden and those guys that were that were all around that team. You got Bernard Smith, Glen and, and Trail mm-hmm. Ware, all of those guys, man. And at, and we had a pretty good offensive line too.
0: Yep.
6: Some great players up front, you know. Uh I wanna say um um the Lott kid from over at uh Yeah over Matt at Stone Lott. was on that team. Mm-hmm. We had Matt Lott, the big kid from down at down at uh, Bay St. Louis. We had a couple of Base St. Louis kids on that team. Uh one from Fast Christian out of our district, big kid.
0: You've got a uh, Morris kid that's coaching down at Hancock now, coach at uh, Teddy Morris. What's name? Teddy Morris is coaching down at oh, Hancock yeah, yeah. on things. I got you. Yeah,
6: He, he was on that team. Mm-hmm. There was one more or two. There's a big old kid, big uh, old fifth last night. Uh, you yeah, don't have to piece it together and edit this thing.
5: <laughs> that,
6: uh, oh, man, what was that big old Joker's name? I'm thinking out loud now. Um, there was two of them. One, was, one had a brother. He co- he played at Bay St. Louis. I can see Yeah, face. that was
2: Hopgood, wasn't other,
6: it? The other the other kid, hop, hop, no, that was that was another kid. Yep, the kid I'm talking about, Ryan Sefton, that's That's, mm-hmm. that's Ryan it. Ryan yep. Sefton Brian Stefton Stefton was one of them, and the other big kid um, had a full beard. I remember that. And, and the hurricane that got his place down there. He lived on, on the on the water yeah, side of the track. His I family think. has something he, to do with him.
0: Yeah, I know exactly who you're talking about, and I just can't call him. Yeah, yeah. Ben Benuti, anyway, maybe? But, but, was it Ben Benuti, no, coach?
6: No, not a big old kid. i think thank for the thing. I'll call it out. But but we had good players, man. Right? Good offensive linemen. Uh, of course, the wide receivers were great. And we usually had a couple of All-Americans back then. Um, and, and, and we were good on defense. You know, William Jones did a good job of, of moving around and, and did a good job coaching and covering a lot of details. You know, we just we were a competitive football team. It's hard to beat us. But it, you know, you had to block a couple of Something like that had to happen in order for – for uh, us to get beat, you know, something bad, bad had to happen in a lot of areas, and often and that's what happened in that particular game. But still ended up being quite a bit of fun, you know, uh, trying to come back and, you know, just throwing it every play. I mean, it's, I've always looked for a reason to throw it every play. <laughs> just gave it just gave me a good excuse to do it. But, you know, it's – it's um, and that's – the game's changed. It's a separate change of game. But that, that, that loss was a lot of fun, man. Certainly the national championship game was a win. It was a lot of fun going back to Butler and just, you know, just kind of looking at the program that you heard a lot about. They had won, I think, the previous one or two. I can't remember, but they were certainly a national powerhouse when it came to to uh, football and community college. And when they walked in that banquet and we looked at them on the hoof, we, we kind of knew that we were probably a little better than they were, a little physical than they were, and a lot more athletic than they were. So, we felt good about that. And even with the 30 mile an hour wind, and,
5: mm-hmm.
6: you know, I think we had a couple turnovers in that game. We we still played good. We enjoyed that. We've always enjoyed the winds, certainly over Gulf Coast and Jones. And I, I think we lost to Jones twice. I want to say twice in 11 years. And we beat Jones one time. We shouldn't have beat him.
5: <laughs> I think it
6: was 06. We were down
5: mm-hmm.
6: 13 to something. And, and, uh, they run a the ball for a long run. They get a touchdown. They score and go up two touchdowns, do thirteen points. They get the ball back to us with about two minutes left to play. And I believe we scored on the drive, kicked an onside kick, and we kind of moved. We switched Demetrius Berg and, and uh, Larry Freeman on the run. They were trying to play a little cat defense, but I got that cat to take this cat. And we kind of we flip flop their positions, and the big cat on Larry Freeman's deep. He stayed on him, and, and they moved out. And, and the bird ended up getting covered by by Freeman's fan. Mm. <laughs> we, we just kind of threw a ball up, and bird was over about six yards. There's a linebacker, and well, somehow they doubled the wrong guy. Mm.
5: Whenever,
6: whenever Bird moved outside and Freeman moved way back inside, they doubled the wrong guy. And anyway, we ended up scoring a second time, converting the point, and we ended up winning by one. And really, we should have won that game. But
2: Tim, I don't know how much – Tim, I don't know how much you take credit for this, um, but I've, I've made this statement. I've been on some talk shows, and people have asked me, uh, especially back during the run, what it was like. And uh, I was fortunate enough to be a part of a radio crew prior to you getting there. I covered Coach Daniels last season, and then, of course, I was there for Maxfield's one year. And then you came along, and um, I've made this statement, and, and I don't know that you'll agree to it, but you might. I felt like you've changed that league forever. Um, When you came here and your connections to Florida, you utilized those out-of-staters better than any coach in that league, probably for, I would say, eight of your 11 seasons. And then about the ninth, 10th, and 11th season, you could see the other schools, Steve Campbell, Buddy, uh, the coach at Jones at the time, they began to catch on that if we're going to play a Tim Hatton ball club, we're gonna to have to have some athletes, and we're gonna to have to go to the same places he's getting them. And and all of a sudden, you started seeing rosters look a lot like ours. How much do yeah. you feel you changed that league?
6: Well, I think I think when I came to Pearl River, I think, and and I can just kind of go back to the years that I played in college football. That an out of stateer was a kid from Mobile, or a kid from Louisiana, maybe a kid from Georgia. Maybe Arkansas, maybe Tennessee, but usually folks didn't venture too too much further than one state over. Well, because I had ties in Florida having coached there in in high school, I mean, there was already one player on our roster, uh, Javon Fountain from Haines City, uh, that I coached in high school, so I had him his second year at Pearl River. He was a great player. I knew he was good, and I knew a lot of area players that were really good that academically were struggling a little bit that needed a place to play. And with Florida not having Juco football, you know, it's a, it's an open uh it's an open field as far as coming down there and getting them because nobody really came down there when I was down. There. You know, I never saw any Mississippi coach down there when I was when I was an ancient. And uh, I would call up to some people when I was coaching down there and they, you know, you get some mixed response. I, I guess it, you know, budget wise didn't make sense to come that far, but uh we went down and got a Got a. I went down, picked up my second year. My I think it was the first year I could recruit because they hired me in June. So the next year I was able to recruit. But the next year I went down and I, in the same car, I bought back Levance mm. Richmond, Barry Kendrick, J- Glen Ware, <laughs> not Glen Trail Ware, of uh, 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 the other linebacker, Gene Big Coleman, old, Big uh, mm. Big Gene Coleman, and uh, and I brought back uh, there one more. It was it Bernard Gene? Larry, uh, Larry Kendrick, yeah, Bernard Smith. So I had four. Mm. That's four players there. Mm. And that's four All-Americans. <laughs> All four of them were mm. JUCO All-Americans. You take Levant and that led the nation in interceptions. Mm. Larry Kendrick was an NJCAA Player of the Year yep. on defense. Uh, Colvin was an All-American, and so was Mitchell Ware. I mean, like Mitchell Ware. So was uh, uh now, Cole, now Bernard Gene Smith didn't make like All-American. But he was a big part. He was a ten-three, mm. ten-four hundred meter, two hundred and twenty-pound running back. So. So that's four pretty good players, you know, in one band uh, coming back. <laughs> and know. then
2: and then you get a kid so that, in, in Dothan, Alabama on a basketball court and Larry Brackens who turned out to yeah, get man. drafted in the yeah, fifth round, bumped. huh?
6: Great player, man. You know, we get a film on him uh, uh, <laughs> Brackens the Brackens story is kind of funny, and Buddy says with this film that this is this kid that we tried to sign last year, but he went over to Feather River Community College in California he said he went to play basketball over there and says uh they tell me that he's home he's back home so i looked at about i don't know maybe 10 seconds of the video He
5: said
6: <laughs> you think we need to go get him i said hell yeah we're go get him. Said, we're he said when you want to go i said we're going tomorrow <laughs> and the only reason i said it was tomorrow because it was already nighttime. I said, in the morning went that day.
5: Oh, so
6: we go down there and find him in the gym, and i think william william the big game hunter uh Jones may have had a little something to do with that too. I'm sure he'll like lay claim too. But buddy showed me the film and, and I sent William down there too. So they scooped him up pretty quick. Um um and he was a great player for us, you know. Six four, six five, two hundred and ten pound wide receiver that could run pretty really well. Real physical. And and, you know, Jimmy utilized him mm. quite often. Um, a great target to have on offense. You know, it's like you know, if you can score points. And, and that, that was the one thing that I figured out in that league early was if you're going to win this league, you're not going to do it by blocking down and kicking out. You're not going to do it by controlling the ball. You're going to do it by scoring more points than the other team, Put pressure on them to score points. B- because of the quality of players that you get, and I've always said this about out of state players when you go out of state, you've got to get a kid that's going to score a touchdown and mm-hmm. keep the touchdown to against school. And, and, you know, you had to play with your in-state offensive linemen, and that that way you could take those eight positions and be competitive. You know, away from away from that position and be really, really competitive. You now, where you think you need help uh, based on what the, what the district gave you in in-state players, Because there's some great in-state players in this city, man. I'll tell you that. That's what ran the program. Now, then, the, the, the out state program, uh, of state program, stood out. But those in-state guys, man, that that's what makes it go day in and day out in terms of uh, uh, being competitive with anybody in the nation. Our end-state kids are so talented. Look at, look at our district. Mm-hmm. Picking over there with Dodd-Lee and Hattiesburg, and you got Petal, you've got uh, Bashville and Jeff Davis County now with Mancuso. Poppleville as good as they are, they're coming on right now. I mean, you in Lumberton back in the day with mm-hmm. with Don Henry, and those guys, and Terry Grant. I mean, if you think back to all those – you know, Dodd-Lee's going to have a 2,000-yard rusher every single year. Pearl River Central had that run with Seth Hayes and those guys. They had it there. Um, there's just so many great schools. And, and you take Stanislaw, when they had Dylan and they had Quavis and those guys throwing the ball around down at Stanislaw. Bay High, we got some good players out of Bay. I mean, there's not a school in our district where we didn't get some good players. Forest County, AHS gave us four or five really good players and most of the time two or three a year. But they they've given us some great players over the years at Fur River. And you know, when you got to have, like that, yeah, it's you know, you, you can win more than you lose. I can promise you, you gather way and win more than you can lose. I think our road is a little bit over over uh, overrated. But we, we had good players there. But...
0: Coach, you had good players and you let them have a lot of fun too. You look at Larry and Levance some guys that were heck on wheels defensively, and then you shift them over and slide them maybe into a slot. You'd have Hollinsworth and Brackens. Yep. I mean, Jason put it, I think, on social media this week. During that time, the three in-state schools were really kind of down, really, when you look at football for a lot of that period of time. And that wide receiver yep. core in particular, there, there wasn't a Saturday that I looked around that there was a Brackens and a Hollinsworth edging out, and then the two slot guys that you would put in between them, particularly that group, but maybe all over the place. I, I felt like, boy, is this a blessing to be able to watch every Thursday night oh, or yeah. Saturday.
6: Oh, we had some really good players in there uh, at wide receiver back then. You're right. Uh, we certainly had some good ones. But, but I tell you, um, the in-state guys, then, some of on this in-state were probably a little bit, uh, worse than we were at skill position. We just had some guys I and mean, when you get those runs every now and, then, and they were down. It's not like it was down. That that group of receivers Ole Miss has put out the last couple of years have been phenomenal and right. state had a real good one a couple of years ago too but they had some great receivers that, that but but that's kind of where it was for us at the JUCO level. We had those kind of guys well you know you have two two three All Americans man that were that could play, man. I and mean, and we had a, a kid out of Hattiesburg, Josh, oh, Josh's last name, slot receiver. Then, going to that's together. it,
5: Barnes.
0: That's Josh not, Barnes played mm-hmm. a
6: heck of man. He was probably the most underrated player mm-hmm. on the receiver on that team. And really, All he did was score touchdowns and threw it to him. You know, was, we, we would throw him a little bu- bubble screen, and he mm-hmm. made it look easy, man. He was a heck of a player, man.
0: He was fun. Jonathan fun. Island comes to mind. Some of those yeah. guys you just pitch yeah. it out to and think, well, at least they oh, didn't yeah. throw it to Brackens, it, and then they get loose. It you know, the only,
2: the only part that I felt robbed on during your time there, Tim, was that we only got to see Larry Kendrick for one year. You know, if, if, oh, that, yeah. if that young man had been a two-year starter in that league, he was I, – oh, I, yeah. I, I still to this day mm. can remember his – he made an interception – against Jones at homecoming at Dobie Holden Stadium, and he made a return that I've never seen. I mean, he had about eight guys around him, and he puts his hand on one of them and bounces out of there, and he just takes off, and the last 20 yards, he basically walked into the other end zone, and he was a you know, special, I, special player, wasn't he?
6: he? He really is. Me and Larry own a 53 uh, foot refrigerated 53 truck together. We're partners, so. Business partner. So I talk to him at least once a day, sometimes twice a day, sometimes three or four times a day. And when you know, he's such a humble guy. Mm -hmm. I'm a kid, he's He's 35, 36 now. But he's so humble, even when you talk to him. I mean, you never saw Larry score a touchdown and look at the fans or hold his hand up. He just kind of just gave the ball back to the referee and went back to the sideline. I mean, and he played on both sides of the ball. He did that for me in high school, too. He's you know, I've had some really, really good players. Thirty-one years. I talked about Jimmy, but but Larry scored a touchdown in a JUCO game about every which was he scored. I think mm-hmm. he had one game, and I don't remember what game it was. He had a kickoff return for a touchdown. He had a punt return for a touchdown. Mm-hmm. He had a blocked extra point. He ran yep. back for an extra point. <laughs> yep. He had a touchdown reception and an interception return for a touchdown. So, I you mean, know, there's not many people that do that. And, and he just did it so effortless, you know. I, that's the thing that made him different from most anybody else. Is he just, he just it like it was so easy for him, you know. And but but you know, I tell you in his defense, if he went up to Ole Miss and and, and battled through, I think I'll tell the story later. He had me in high school. He goes, and he signs with Florida. He got Spurs as a coach for his first year and he ends up leading the nation. I believe he led the SEC in kickoff returns that year. The next year, Zip comes in. He doesn't play. Zip there the next year, and he's going to leave. So he calls me, and I won't let him leave. I just said, look, man, you're at Florida.
4: You're not leaving
6: and coming to Pearl River Community College. You're just not going to do it. So this is in the springtime, and I said, you're not going to do it. You're going to stay in the SEC. That's what you need to do. So he hangs up, and he goes through spring. Then he calls me again. This is about August the 1st, and we're already in summer camp. He says, uh... Hey coach, I am I'm, I'm leaving here. I said, No, you're not, you're staying there. So he said, I'm leaving here. he said if uh if I'm gonna play somewhere, if I don't mm-hmm. play a pro river, I'm gonna play at another college. I said, Well I'll tell you what Larry, I'll be there tomorrow.
4: <laughs>
6: and, uh, I, I went and picked him up and uh you know, the rest is history. Man. Yeah, I don't a, know, I don't
4: know what Zook, I don't know what
6: Ron Zook
2: I don't know what didn't see, but I know this. That's probably why Ron <laughs> Zook still ain't in Gainesville, Florida when you're missing on players well, like mean, that.
6: I can tell you, man. It, you know, Larry's just laid back, man. Just Zook is a high energy guy, and a great coach, but but they just there's there's they just didn't, you know, their personalities didn't match up, and not and Larry's never said a negative word to a coach or a, or a teacher or anybody throughout his whole career as a as a player or a student, just been nothing but but just excellent, you know, and it just it just didn't work out, you know. He was a two hundred and ten pound, six foot kid, and Everybody wanted him to be a 220-pound outside linebacker. They wanted him to be a, they wanted him to be a running back, or they wanted him to be, you know, something he wasn't. He was a slot receiver, or a free safety. He was not a strong safety. Nobody ever put him there but us. And, you know, I feel like if they would have put him there, he would have probably had an NFL career. I mean, he was that mm. kind of player at those positions. But he really was not a linebacker. He really was not running back. You know, but but he was a great slot receiver, mm. and he was a great. Free safety where he could roam. I mean, I haven't had anything close to him at the high school level since since um, since 2000. My coach at Hang City with him at that position. I think mean, it's just and I've not seen a high school safety look like that.
0: No, I mean, it... he just
6: he's a first first team parade All American back then. I mean, that's back when parade was you know getting out there. We didn't have those stars like we do now. We give my candy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's
5: right. It's well, a whole different
6: whole different system. We're, we got sports ride. That's a whole different topic. We got Johnny, the sports writer, just never coached football, never played football, giving out stars to, to, to recruits. I saw one guy, I saw a guy that worked 24-7, without saying a whole lot more than that. And I was at a one-day camp somewhere, and, and I walked by him and he said, Coach, I, I'm thinking about giving him a fourth star. And I looked at him, and he looked like he was about, I don't know, <laughs> he looked like he was straight out for, for, for Revenge avenging the Nerds. I mean, one of those kind of guys, you know. Stuff hanging from his belt, I'm going, guys never coached today never the normal thing about football when it comes to a one-day camp he's gonna give out stars and we're gonna listen to him and we're gonna fight for that kid because he's got mm. stars given out by this guy in a camp when nobody yeah. gets hit there's no intimidation to getting hit i mean that's not even it doesn't simulate a game at all but you know that's what the game the game's kind of got that with social media you know that's a whole nother podcast too social
5: media
6: <laughs> but um but certainly, but Kendrick was a great player, man. If he, if they were giving out stars that he went seven, like, yeah, at least don't give it up a five without giving eight.
0: <laughs> Coach, you always it's so funny. Uh, Post game, you know, just listening uh, to you and Jason, just kind of hanging around those conversations. <laughs> One of the things you want to know is how many snaps did your offense get, and then if there was an opposing quarterback that could throw the ball in our league you would always make the comment that Jason or I, whoever, if I had that son of a gun over there, we would have thrown it. You know, and so back in that day, people didn't throw it like they are now. How is the game, nah. Coach, when you watch it? I mean, y'all were kind of on – I know Jason talked about on the forefront of going to Florida, getting players, but the way y'all played offensive football back in the early two thousand was before its time.
6: Yeah, and we, we did. We, we probably, you know – back before Baylor and all those guys. And I tell you, BYU used to throw it around back. The of the mm-hmm. back I've always been under the, Ever since I played the game, I've always... You know, there's never been a receiver that played the game that didn't think it was wide open. I thought I was wide
5: open. every game played, it's like, what happened?
6: <laughs> if, if Scott Favre would ask me, what I was open, i said, well, absolutely. And Wade
5: Stegall
6: might have something to say that. We'd always feel I'd always feel Wade go you know what you can't know, But, uh... But, uh then it was always, yeah, well, we'd run about two or three different routes. But, you know, <laughs> but, uh, it, it, it it's, it's always felt like that. It, it was really hard to, to, to find secondary people. If you send enough people into an, to an area and we could get some reads off one or two of them, then, you know, maybe we'd have an idea where to throw the ball. And it's something that we started doing probably, probably my first year as a head coach. Twenty-five years ago, we kind of built off of it. We'd get in stack before anybody ever got in stack. We'd have an empty stack. We'd be three by two. And, you know, I, I just noticed that people got confused and they, you put people in motion, they get more confused and people started playing read defenses where somebody was reading one and one went vertical. We did this or two went flat. And once you figured out what they were reading, I'd always give them a false read. You know, I think, I think Gulf Coast plays in a lot of reach, stuff, And we always had a lot of success, though, in football versus, versus Gulf Coast and the versus them. And I know they, they we, we probably were about 50-50. They may have beat us a couple more times than we beat them over the course of 11 years. We played for two state championships, I think. We played them four. And we may have played them in the first round. No, we didn't play them in the first round. But I know we played them in two state championships. It might have been more than that. But, but uh
0: you certainly played had, them that think, one year where they broke the streak and dunked Campbell. We got them at the end of that year. I do remember that, the Katrina year we were talking yep, about we, earlier.
6: We, we came back and beat them one time at all places. But I think, we, I think me and Campbell talked. Uh, he comes to he signed three of our kids here at Christy last year, and uh, –
0: well, y'all's relationship has come a long way from from since I knew you, coach. Well, no. You know, the things
6: that people don't understand about football and relationships, but by the referees, you would not believe the number of congratulatory comments that I got from members of the of, of the uh, 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 the crew that the referees and the MACJC, uh, uh, Rick Mitchell and Trish. And, and, man, you know, I used to win a
5: but out. <laughs> they but, gave but, you but,
6: congratulatory but, comments because you're it, not it, still in it, the it, league is, is why they one. gave those
3: to <laughs> I've always – they
6: kind of kept up with me here at Crestview, and they would pull a picture out of it. And there's about seven of them. They'd pull a picture out of the Crestview the paper over here, and it'd be me screaming at an official. and They'd just go crazy. <laughs> start to of it. So uh, so they sent me a bunch of tags. I don't know how many it was, but yesterday. And, and it's all about the relationships that you have while you're coaching. Mm. look, I coached against Parker Dykes at Jones and, and, and Eddie Pierce at Jones. And I, I have a lot of respect for both of them. And I still talk to Eddie. At the and, then. and as a, as a competitor, we're doing the same thing with the same kind of kid. And, but you can be a competitor. You don't have to hate them. I mean, I don't really like golf coaching. I I wouldn't care if they lost every game they played. I mean, but, but I respected the coaches that, that worked there and I'm sure they feel that way about, about Pearl River. I mean, and it's, it's nothing personal. I mean, uh, you know, you, you you wish them the best when they don't play you. You know, and, and that's kind of the way it is uh, um, with with coaches' relationship. But I, we've always got along really well. We've always had discussions before and after games if we wanted off. And that's just part of the fun of coaching football and what we do. I, I I'll be honest. I can't believe they pay me to do what I do.
5: Mm.
6: It's, it's it's always been mystifying to me why the the public is is is. Uh, so in love with the game that they spend, you know, billions and billions of dollars across America from Little League all the way up to NFL football when you think about what the game actually is. I think about the old Andy Griffith takeoff about the football and all that. and mm-hmm. You know, it's it's just really weird that, that, it's, uh, that it's so big and there's a passion for it, but relationships in the game, I, I think that's what makes it go. I mean, I enjoy just kind of hanging out with the football guys and coaches. and you, know, you guys after a game, that, that's
0: that's part of the fun. Coach, your comments um, on the video and then kind of the fraternity you had that wasn't just the football coaches but your time at uh, Pearl River and some of those relationships with the other coaches there and uh, the athletics that most of the teams there on campus were on a pretty good roll in your time. Just your memories that you have from Pearl River.
6: Well, I you had Lee White coaching softball you had Richard Masses coaching basketball. And, you know, I tell people all the time, you had that. I was there for J.R. Teague's mm-hmm. beginning career in baseball. I went through, uh, went through uh, 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 Mac. Coach Max was there in baseball. Off I was there in baseball. Of course, I was there while Oni was there in basketball. Um, Adam Brewwood was a soccer coach. Uh, and, and, you know, after games, after a football game, I mean, everybody come in the field house and hang out. But you got to remember that you go, we all lived on campus, so. So we ate breakfast together, we ate lunch together, and we ate dinner together we told stories and we cut up and we made fun of each other. You know, we went to each other's games. What else are you gonna do in Popperville, Mississippi <laughs> <laughs> on on Thursday night in the springtime. Baseball's playing, softball's playing, I'm taking my golf cart over there and watching mm-hmm. both of So so you know, that that's that's, just, that's a that's a special place. And certainly when I had young kids, Eli was young, Ian mm. was young, I met Dallas. Allie was graduating from Popperville. Mm. so, so all kind of grew up around campus, and and uh, you know, buddy, buddy had kids over there on Faculty Row, so it was kind of a unique. It's a unique little experience uh, that that a lot of people don't know about. in Terms of coaching, how much fun that is, and, and you know, it's kind of your own little world. I mean, JUCO football and JUCO sports is it's it's kind of Mississippi's thing, and there's there's really not an area around it that it really knows the meaning of that. And I try to explain to these coaches around here. You know, because when we come in there in 02, 03, I mean, you're looking at a protection list where you don't have to go out, mm. you don't have to recruit all over the state. You know we, we had the best football jobs in America, I thought. And we screwed it up pretty good. But but I certainly think we had the best football jobs in America until we opened up the state, made it but made the kid from Popperville get recruited from from the, from the, from, the, from northeast mm. Mississippi. And so you go up in North Mississippi and you take the same kind of kid from their district that get your district. I think you lose the sense of community from it. I think that's what made our place what it was in the 2000s. Mm-hmm. I, I think it was a a community deal. We got support from from all of our major cities in our six district, district area, and, and and we had good coaches in every single sport. Good people, man. It was, you know, it was just a lot of fun. And I, I've never been anywhere in my 31 years where. At Haines City, uh, at Pearl River, and even now at Crestview, where the coaches didn't get along, we, we've always got along, and I've always made it a point to make sure that, that that football, which sometimes we get treated like the like the Godfather, like we're the we're, we're the alpha and the omega, and I'd make sure that those other guys understand that that's not the way it is. You know, I'd understand that their jobs are just as important as mine, and their kids are just as important as mine, and, and I always felt like it was. Was very important to have a good relationship with all of the coaches on campus, what, wherever I was. And right now at, at Crestview High School, the head track uh, coaches on my football staff, the head boys basketball coaches on my football staff. Um, I, I, I've got I probably have out of the fourteen coaches—wait, girls' wait and boys' wait that All of those guys are on my staff, and I try to have as many of them as I can on my staff. And, and some of them, you know what? They might not be great football coaches but they're great coaches hmm. and, and we'll give them a role to play. And, and I feel like by doing that, and not only do they make good money doing it, you, know, you get to reward them, but they get to see how hard you work and, and, how you feel about how you treat your players, how you run your program. And, and it's, it kind of rubs off, man. And, 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 they understand, we're not going to win every game we play, but, but, but it's all about the journey, man. And I think, uh, I think it just helps a lot when you all get along. You don't have any devices where you got a guy that says, you know what, my baseball players, they're not playing football. My mm-hmm. basketball players are not playing. And I'll tell you something. We've played several schools at the high school level for the last couple of years. If they'd have had their basketball players out, we had 17, out of our 17 basketball players, we had 15 of them play football. So, so, and we won the state championship this mm-hmm. year, 7A level of basketball, with the same kids that we, we um ended up playing in the state semifinal with. But but you gotta do that. You gotta share players and it, it's all about relationships. And if we don't have those relationships like we had at Pro River with Lee White and and Crazy Ortiz, and had a lot of fun when he was there. And uh Hothpire and Jamie <laughs> and that one of my most memorable uh uh, uh memories of Ortiz and when Jamie Mattline was the third base coach. I tell this thing, they don't to tell that's telling him okay, but I'm gonna tell it <laughs> I had my golf cart there now. So, uh, they were runners on I believe it was second, third or first. Second. I can't really remember. I must've been first and second. So there's a ball hit in the alley and the runner on first got a pretty good jump on. He saw it was an alley ball, The runner on second. Didn't get a real good jump. And he kind of, he kind of, kind of it off a second. And as he went, what Jamie had waved that guy. in. he was coming he was bringing that first guy. Well, he brought the second guy, too, which was only about, I don't know, probably seven, eight yards behind the first guy. That's how fast he was going. So they had a pretty good arm out the outfield, and they relayed it pretty good, and they tagged the first runner out, and five yards later, they tacked the second runner. <laughs> 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 so after, we won now, Bob Dodge. We were up about eight or nine. This is the deal with one. I think we won stakies. But, um... We were up by a bunch, but you know, J.R. He didn't care how many points, how many, mm-hmm. how many runs we were up by. So after the games, over, I let them all settle in. I'm sitting out on my golf cart. Everybody leaves, and I walk in there, and Jay's sitting in that chair, and Jay's sitting there, and I go, can hey, I you want to let you know something?" I said, "I've been around baseball and football for a long time, but I ain't never seen two people get <laughs> tagged out at home plate within five yards on the same exact throw. They got tagged, two, three, <laughs> Oh, man. I said, I've never seen that at any level. I said, that'll stick out in my mind forever. Of course, Jay said some choice words. looked <laughs> over with Jamie. Jamie just got kind of, – you know, Jamie, he didn't say much. He didn't say much when he was a head coach. He just kind of lowered his head. But those are the kind of things you remember, he said. Mm-hmm. But that's a lot of fun, man. Those, those relationships really mean a lot. I think – and I really do think that it had a lot to do with all of our success out there.
2: Well, I know from at, uh, from being the voice of the Wildcats for those 11 seasons, I can echo the – The way you treated those coaches is the same way you treated us, and uh, you brought us down memories that will last with us for forever, really. Uh, I I think about it all the time about how much fun we got to have as a radio crew, mainly because of you. We we became friends for life, fishing partners for life. You're the only – Head football coach, I know if they'd pay you more to fish, you'd drop that game in a heartbeat uh, because you believe yeah, you fish better than you tomorrow. coach. I, yeah, <laughs> I,
5: I quit tomorrow. I'd quit
6: tomorrow. i I quit tomorrow if I could. If I did make a fish, you'd make the same money. Uh, i quit tomorrow.
2: No I thing.
6: still go to the game. i coach from the stands. I feel like yeah. everybody else
2: is <laughs> Well, Tim, – I'm –
6: look forward. I'm, I'm – tell you, I'm about to go. I hope in the next couple of weeks, I'm, I've am got a monster project at my house where i a deck around my pool. You know, I'm kind of a jack of all trades, so. My wife said, you think you can build that deck? I said, I don't think I can. I know I can. So, uh, <laughs> I, got
5: this,
6: I got this big deck going on in a tiki hut, and I'm building on my deck, so i have to send you all some pictures of when I get done with mm. it. But anyways, I undertook that in this coffee about a month of springtime speckled of trout fishing. Mm. So, uh, you know, even though I'm in the town of Florida, I still make that track over to the Biloxi Marsh and still go over there. Well, it's a great fishery over there, all that. Even even the Mississippi waters over there, Cat Island, we do pretty good over there. So I, I really enjoy that part, of, uh, that part of the coast where you go out there and catch some of those rep trout. We've had a lot of fun out there the last several years. But I-, I go as much as I can go. I go. I just don't go down the football season watch. Unless I can get an open date. i get an open date in
5: the
6: <laughs> 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 We'll worry about preparing for the next game on Sunday night. It only takes us a few minutes to prepare and when you do what we do. But, but uh. You know, we've been having fun, like you said, but we've had had good players here, Chris. You know, what I think is fun as a coach is to to take a group, and my wife, Cindy, said the other day, she said, you know, I can remember whenever you were coaching at Haines City and said, I'm going to start seeing us coaching the J.D. football team on my first year coach, and I had 78 players, and my, my, my assistant coach had cancer. He had just gotten over a, a, a bout with brain cancer, and he's still doing pretty good today, 30 years later. But uh, he, he told me, he said, Coach, I can't be in the sun. And I said, hmm, you can't be in the sun, and, uh, you know, you coach football in Florida. I said, it's going to be kind of tough. You know, it's going to be kind of tough to coach football. <laughs> so so uh, oh, we were talking at practice. So I coached 78 them right by myself. I had never won, I think, 5-2 and two that year. And we had some really good players. and. It's the joy on those kids' face when they, when they kind of figure out, hey, you know what, we're not that bad
5: after all, you
6: know. And, and it's kind of like we got to Pearl River, you know, winning that state championship and, and, uh, and certainly making the playoffs our first year. We got beat by home seven to three game that, that we really should have got beat in. But but still, nobody. I think we were picked to finish last in the state at you in mm. the south, and we ended up end up winning the south. And uh, you know, it was uh, it was um. It was a great year, and it, it's always satisfying to take some people that have never won and win with them. And, and certainly here at Christie is no different. Three years ago, you know, our rival team that, that gets a lot of press and you know that they, they uh, deserved so They've won a bunch of games over the years. They've borrowed a few players for some teams over the years. They've got, <laughs> and, and we we didn't have to rely on a whole lot of past their plate. We beat them our first year and kind of turned heads, and they do this the next two times and then. We started a role three years ago, and we've beaten them for the last the last four times. we played them, and it's just a joy to watch our kids go from being so happy when they beat them to this last year we beat them in the second round of, first round of playoffs. And when you beat them, it was like, well, they're, they're, they were happy, but not overjoyed, but the fact mm-hmm. that they knew they should have been. I mean, just a quiet confidence when you know that you know, you've you gotten a problem that when they get off the bus, they know they've got a chance to win. And, that, and that's that's where we've got this program right now. And, and I've been very fortunate to have for players over the years to, to have that conference with players and, and, and the system that we're at all three places that I've been. And I've told somebody, you know, the best job that I've ever had, I've been lucky in my career. I've had the best job everywhere I've been. You know, City was my first job. But obviously, that had to be my best job. Mm. Then I go to Pearl River and I said, this, this is the best job I've ever had, you know. I got paid a little more money than I did over at uh, over at uh, Hain City. I got to coach great players, and so I felt like that was the best job I ever had. And I told here, and I go that gun. I got deep pockets over here in Oklahoma County." I so said, "They they ended up uh, giving me some money." And I said, "Dad, get I And I got a situation where I don't teach classes. I'm the AD. I've got a great principal administrative staff. I'm going, and well, I got players now. So again, and for the third time, it's, it's the best job I've ever had. And, you know, so said, "Hey." Well, what about your next job? I said, well, I'm not looking for my next job, but I never have. You know, I've, I've mm-hmm. never been a guy that just looked for that next job. I mean, I just never have been that kind of guy. Um, but I'm 30, 50, 55, and this is year 31 for me, so you never know. You never know what, what kind of twists and turns you have in a coaching career, but I'm I'm almost going to be a full-time fisherman, will not I? That's what I'm looking for. I don't think it pays that good, though. i need you jason i need you to do real real good makes a lot of money i just kind of hang out with you what they say (laughs) the best friend to have is a friend with a boat ain't
2: no doubt absolutely that's why i'm going on that model right now with you i'm with that i'm boatless and uh you you got access to all kinds of them so I, I, i gotta make sure i keep you on my good side right now yeah
6: hey listen I used to answer your phone calls all the time. How did you get rid of your boat? I don't know, man. I'm going to put you on the call back later. That's right. You got to have a boat to you answer your phone calls. That's right. <laughs> Oh, man.
0: Coach, congratulations again for your honor being inducted to the Hall of Fame, and thank you for your time tonight. It's been good to walk down memory road. So many good memories as as we've described here tonight. Thank you for your time, oh, Coach, yeah. and thank you for – uh, the access you always gave us as radio guys and the friendships uh, that we can carry oh, with man. us. Thank you.
6: Ben and joy, man, if you ever get anybody that cancels on, you got you guys, you need a time filler, man. I can think of about nine different steps. To talk about <laughs> high school, especially high school sports and high school football. Like, we could cover a lot of issues. We could. The star system will be a great one to start with. That's always fun.
5: Yeah, I'm transfer
6: kids Transfer kids. Transfer kids is another whole – that's another place that I could probably speak. We could talk thirty minutes on the history of high school football, I and mean, it wasn't the history of high school football. wasn't a kid at Picky and going over and driving the first per- to play against Picky, and that's not the way it works, or vice versa. You know what I
5: mean? Yeah, a okay. kid at
6: Stone driving, kid at Stone moving to, to Popperville or, or driving to Poperville because that's what we did. There. Anyway, there's all kinds of stuff we talk about, but. You get a little void. well, I'll be glad to chat with you anytime you want to.
1: (laughs) Thank you, Coach. We certainly appreciate your time, Coach. Be good. All right, man. Thanks a lot, man. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. Stay tuned for more episodes in the weeks to come.